at the best of times They're the only times I've ever known And I believe there is a time for meditation In cathedrals of our own Now I have seen that sad surrender in my lover's eyes For we are always what our situations hand us See the sadness or euphoria Hi, welcome to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy And Alex Sokolo You're listening to us, we're coming to you from L&W Market in Bridgehampton We are on WPPB, Long Island's only NPR station, 88.3 FM And we have special guests today we have Walker Vreeland, who is a well-known radio personality from out here. And we have Tim McDara, who is a well-known personality everywhere. And we're super excited about it. What's going on with you, Sock? Oh, not much. You know, uh, happy that it's June because, you know, God, I love the traffic. <laughs> it's also Pride Month. It's also Pride Month, yeah. Um, things are good. My daughter graduated college last week, so that was kind of trippy. And um, my son hosted a... Music and art festival in Brooklyn uh, the other night, so proud of him. That's awesome. And uh, I'm just sliding through. And you sold a script. I sold a script, and it's a script that's like 15 years old. That's like that's the best thing. Is that that is awesome. And yeah. You know, but you're still good. It's good. Toy Story is going to be on your gravestone, though, isn't it? Maybe, maybe not. I, I, you know what? I knew when that movie came out. Toy Story. That that was my obituary. Yeah, and I was I was young. And I was like, oh, I'm like a dead man walking now. So. <laughs> This has all just been for me, like, nothing I do. I could basically, what did Donald Trump say? I could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue, it wouldn't matter. Yeah, it would still like, say, was, Toy Story writer shot somebody on Fifth right, Avenue. Right, right, so, exactly. Like, exactly. So what are we going to talk about today with Walker and Tim? I think we talk Kierkegaard. No, I don't want to. I think we talk about out of pain comes art. Out of pain comes art. Yeah. That's actually a really good discussion. And I think we talk about uh, how, uh, well, basically, we're all on a, a journey of wisdom. And we're all on a journey of understanding. But if you are fortunate, you can take your experience and actually turn it into an expression. I well, you know, we have, we have an expression. I've said this before in our, I practice a form of Japanese Buddhism, Nishiren Buddhism. And we have a saying, Hindoko Iyaku, which means changing poison into medicine. So we take the things, the very things that could cripple us and turn them into something positive and shiny and bright. And, uh, both of our guests here today have, have been able to do that. So um, Yeah, it's really cool. That's what have really you been cool. able to do in your life where you turn poison into medicine? Well, you know, I think that uh, so much of my writing. I mean, I like legitimately whatever traumas I have. And again, I forget the Kierkegaard quote, but he had some quote to paraphrase where you hear the screams of a mother during childbirth and you hear the moans of, of an old man dying. And how can life be pleasurable? Like it's it's so I think that the, the very um, uh existence can cause so much pain and uh i have comfortably lost myself in movies and animation writing and and in basically trying not to um to see the the, the darkness so that's what I, I i think that like let's let's accept the fact that the universe uh is is this vast dark lifeless place and that life is this happy accident but it's a painful accident yeah what who is it who said the life is nasty brutish and short i can't remember but but that's a it is I, and i heard like be. that the three things that made the british navy great were uh rum the lash and buggery so and it's gay pride month <laughs> it is so, gay pride month. well i was going to say a little, a little bit of how's my that own. for a segue yeah no but uh <laughs> I was going to talk a little bit about my own pain into art, but that's okay. I can, I Let's can hear about it. Let's no, hear no, about it's, it. I really don't. Everything in my life has been, uh, you know, I, I've had addiction issues. Um, but out of that, I mean, you said it beforehand. You know, religion is for people who are scared of going to hell. Spirituality is for people who have already been there. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that's the lesson that I've learned. And so I'm grateful every day to not have the addictions that I had that were going to kill me. However... Once you're an addict, always an addict. My, I, I consider addiction a disease. I consider that my life is a series of changing deck chairs on the Titanic. 
it, oh, and speaking of that, Walker Vreeland's going to talk about his sh- from ship to shape, talking about cruise lines, not, you know, the Titanic. But I'm changing. And I dress. have an aisle seat on the Hindenburg. So, so there you go. Oh, the humanity. Oh, the and I always wanted to have a pet manatee and, and name I hate, him Hugh. I hate balloons. Everything about balloons suck. They like for kids, when kids get a balloon, it's like giving them a pet for an hour. They, they name it. They're so happy. <laughs> then it pops and they cry. And it's like so unnecessary. The earth is like running out of helium. What's up with that? The earth balloons? is running out of helium? Yeah, and you walk on the beach you and all you see that. are mylar. No, you just, you just made that up about the world running out of helium. Helium is not an endangered Look resource. Look it up. Look it up. You look it up. Anyway, I think that's probably a good place for us to take a break. <laughs> You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. On 88.3 WPPB-FM. You can also stream us online at 88.3 WPPB.org. We're coming to you from L&W Market in Bridgehampton. And we'll be right back with our guests. Back Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolow. And uh, I was—I've just been schooled in the fact that there actually is a helium shortage. I won't waste any more making my voice sound funny like this. Yeah, well, I love that. I used to love that. That's okay. Um, and our guest t- today, Walker Vreeland and Tim McDarrow. And Tim McDarrow, and uh, we are having a digressive conversation. We introduced the idea of out of pain comes art. Go. Well, let, yeah, who's going to go first? <laughs> well, go alphabetically. Luckily, your name is Walker, so anybody goes before you. Exactly. I'll um, sit back. Out of pain becomes art. There's no better example than my dad and his photographs, I don't think. Well, let's talk uh, about your dad, okay? Because for people that don't know. He was the first photographer and first picture editor. Before you kids invented the interweb, there were newspapers. And he worked for the first alternative weekly called The Village Voice in New York City. And he was there from when the paper started in the mid-50s until he died in 2007. His photos are some of the best When they were bought by New Times Media and who ran into the ground because of Backpage. Among other things, yes. Um, It's also the whole changing media landscape that doomed the whole thing. Um, And here's a cheap plug. You can go to the parish right now and you can see an exhibition of his work of East End artists interspersed with actual work by these artists, by Motherwell and Rivers. And that's how we met, was that I wrote about that for The Independent, which is a a thriving newspaper on the East End. But it's funny, community journalism is different than, than... Big town journalism. It seems to be thriving because everyone wants to know who died. Don't change the subject. I'm talking about me. Yeah, right. go ahead. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> so, but you, let's talk about right. your pop. So, your pop was right. a, your pop anyway, was a my, photographer. He grew up in Brooklyn during the Depression, very poor. He was marginalized. He was outcast. Um, why, he was, now why, why was he marginalized? Because he was poor and because he was uneducated. Um, and when you go out into the world, if you're a poor kid from Brooklyn who grew up in the Depression, you don't have manners, you don't know which fork to use, you don't know how to behave, you don't use a preposition to end a sentence or whatever the grammar rule is. And, and where was he from at? He was born in Brooklyn. and uh, That was he, a preposition. I just, I just yeah, I, that think, I think that's how they, you're right. speaking Brooklyn. <laughs> exactly. No, we're, we're in Brooklyn. My, my folks are from Brooklyn. He so. moved every year because when you were on home relief in those days, yeah. you got one month free rent and you paid 11. So he moved every year of his life until he dropped out wow. of Boys High to go to World War II. Wow. Long story, a little bit shorter. He came back. His roommate was starting something called The Village Voice. My dad signed on as their photographer. And The Voice focused on marginalized, ostracized, Sized, belittled communities that nobody paid attention to. Uh, and he covered things that a lot of people didn't cover. The civil rights movement, the women's rights movement, the gay rights movement. Uh, and my dad felt a real kinship with these people because society said, F you, blank, blank you, because you're different. And my dad said, no, everybody is equal, everybody is worthy. My newspaper gives them attention and gives them space. And I'm going to take pictures even if I'm the only photographer there. And when something like Stonewall comes along, my dad was literally the only photographer there. Because one of the voice reporters was inside. He called my dad. He said, come, take some pictures of this. My dad respected the reporter. He respected the issue. He wasn't gay. But he went, 
You uh, took pictures? Amazing. Tim um, McDerrick, can you also, just for those of us who may not know what Stonewall is, explain? If you don't know what Stonewall is, put down the radio and go read a book no, about don't put, it. No, don't put down the radio. Don't wow. listen to him. No, but I mean, wow. really, I'm giving That short... escalated. <laughs> wow, that um, would sound really fast. Here's my version of Stonewall. My version of Stonewall is the mob had a bar, and it was yeah. frequented by uh, you know gay, gay clientele at a time in which... You know, many. I don't know if it was legal or illegal in New York. Illegal. It was to illegal. Liquor to homosexual right. until 1972. But that the mob Is and the cops right? basically were kind of running their little side right. scams and and just keeping this place going on a certain level, and then the clientele got tired of the abuse. Well, it was the. the they started to fight back. Right. It yeah. was the era of women fighting back, anti-war, civil rights, and the gay people were finally saying to themselves, "You know what? You can't treat us this way anymore." And one night the bar got raided and the gay people inside, the trans people, they decided to fight back. And it was the beginning of the modern day gay rights movement in the United States. Mm -hmm. The 50th anniversary, which is coming up this June, which is now. And the big parade is the last Sunday in June. And there's That is hundreds, going to be a party. If not thousands of events to mark. Just and and Walker, 50. like um, yeah. among other things, you give walking tours? No, I no, do. that's oh, Kim does. You give walking tours. I give, no, I give walking tours in the Hamptons. Okay. <laughs> Main Street. No, but I want to ask Walker. I want to bring Walker into the conversation here. So was your upbringing very similar to Fred McDara, no, Tim McDara's father? Could, could not have been more different. Um, but I think it just goes to show that when you grow up different, whether you're, whether you're gay, whether you're poor, um, whether you're uh, of a, any minority, um, you, you struggle. You struggle with your identity. I think that's sort of where we can connect. That's where we can relate. Because, right. you know, I, I grew up mm, partly here uh, amongst an enormous amount of privilege. And, um, and yet I felt like an outsider. And I felt like I did not belong. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's a process. Well, tell us a little bit about your... Um your ship from ship to shape, which is at Bay Street this month, but it's also had many incarnations, mm -hmm. and probably will—I'm I'm sure it will have a future. Yep. Tell us a little bit about that. From ship to shape is a uh, play. It's an autobiographical monologue about uh, a nervous breakdown I had in my twenties when I took a job as a singer for Norwegian Cruise Lines. I'm about to have a nervous breakdown just hearing just that. hearing about it. Yeah, it is. I mean, cruise well, ships. Cruise, cruise ships are funny. They're funny. They're funny. And if you're um, like bacteria, they're, they're just funny, no matter what you are. The whole. Cruise I ship. mean, it's surreal to be on a cruise, and 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 I'm so grateful for the cruise now because it it does make the story funnier. It, it, you, if you're if you're telling the story about your nervous breakdown, you need levity. And right. the, the, the so cruise this is you changing it. your, your okay. poison into medicine. Well, right. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, you know, not, not only through humor and, and, you know, having, getting through it at the time with humor, but also in retrospect, uh, laughing at what I didn't know then and how clueless I was then and how... You know, you really, gotta be, you gotta takes, be you gotta it, be first to the buffet. It, it, uh, you definitely have to be first, to the, and you have to push your way. You have to push your way up front to get that food because everybody—it's like a—it's like cattle. Have you and ever been on a cruise? Line. You have. I'm asking Tim. Yeah. I went on a cruise when I was seven years old with my parents, and we woke up after leaving the Hudson River piers under the Verrazano Bridge. It turned out the ship had broke. I always thought it would be so cool. <laughs> to, to, well, it was so broke. cool to have a cruise, though, that started in, like, Staten Island <laughs> and then went to the Bronx, then went to Queens, then went to, like, Jersey City and just never left New York Harbor. Like a well, three-hour tour. <laughs> but, but you like, know, I mean, one of us was going to say that. That ran for four seasons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I mean anyway, yeah. No, I, I was just saying that that um, I guess we're talking about how to you know pick right. up the broken pieces of your life and so, make sorry, something out let's of it. Let's go. Let's go back to the moment that you decided to do this this gig. Yeah, the, um, the ship part. You were already um, struggling with mm -hmm. some internal. Yeah, I mean, I and and had been all my life. So you know, for me, yeah, of course, I struggled with my identity and my sexuality and I didn't come out until I was 18 years old and I could have come out sooner and would have been accepted and was right. when I came out but, but thanks, for me let's just thanks to things like Stonewall exactly right? exactly right. because of the world that your father helped create with those iconic images but I think um, I mean for me I had uh, other demons 
as well. And so I'd been dealing with these issues all my life, depression, anxiety. I literally went to, I was in psychoanalysis from age 11 to 15, four times a week. This is very hard work as a kid. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I had this, this, this context. And so what this, this was, it, it was a, a downward spiral. It was the ultimate, and then, and then uh, it hit the rock bottom. Right. And then, that happened. uh, what, what was the moment on the ship when, it came undone. When I, I, that's that's a very good question. I think that happened when I um, made the executive decision to up my medication by myself. I, I've done that without, a couple times with, without you know, doctors. I actually did. I I, want, I was on uh, Effexor, so I, I I was diagnosed I was with the Effexor with the kind too. of like the oxymoronic like you you suffer from minor depression, right? And there was nothing minor about it when it would hit me. Yes. But I decided to get off Effexor, and I I didn't trust my doctor, so I, I I got off it myself. Yeah. The day I was taking my family to Mexico on a vacation, and so I'm in Mexico without any medication and I'm going a little mad. You must have gone crazy. And so I go to a doctor and they just gave me like 200 oxycodone. Oh and that God, was like, serious? oh, that'll do it. That'll, that'll help. Yeah. No, I'm, but I'm the same way. I mean, because I, I live, you know, what's euphemistically called a sober life. Um, when I, when the doctor does give me medication, I, I have a love hate relationship with sure. it. And so I will absolutely not give myself more, but I'll always take less. Well, see, that's how you know? I, I fortunately have gotten to that point. But at you know, when in my in my mid twenties, I thought that there was some answer with it in in medication. I thought it was part of the answer. It, it was really very much a victim mentality. So we're and, talking, we're talking and, drugs. We can say medication, but we're talking drugs. We're talking yeah, drugs. Right. And I mean, by the way, and, and, whether they're legal or illegal yeah, or prescribed, it, it definitely. Or prescribed. And I was self medicating with non prescription drugs at the time too. Right. So as, right. As, I was holding on for dear life. Right. So 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 what <laughs> was the moment? So you're you're on the ship. So so you're on the, you're in the poop deck. I'm trying it, to set exactly. the scene. No, I mean it. It was a, it was a couple things. First of all, they the, I had to learn a very I had to learn three shows in one week with no rehearsal. So the the whole and the one crew, of them was like Nicholas Nickleby. It, it was one no li literally one one of them was called Rocking with the Rhythm. I mean these were reviews and no scheduled rehearsal. Like so up with people. Totally disorganized uh, situation. And then um, I upped my medication, and then I realized that they expected me to. Um, dance and not just dance but really have lead dance skills and when i would sort of say that i was hired under false pretenses because i was hired my contract says singer and so i by that point once i realized that they wanted me to dance i had already begun to spiral out of control and okay. something else had taken hold i think had i been on more steady ground at the time i could have maybe made it work and could have maybe just faked the dancing but because I'd already started slipping into something I couldn't quite control, right. um, I got off the ship. And where, because and where it was the you, lesser of two evils. Where were you physically evils. when you got off the ship? New York, because it was the, the it was a Norwegian cruise from New York to Bermuda, back and forth, back and forth. Oh, I got it. Okay. And so, but really, why I didn't mean, you get off in what, Bermuda, dude? No I mean, I'm kidding. <laughs> I know I should have. You know what? I tried to and fly. They wouldn't let me because okay. once you're on that ship, it's really hard to get off actually because you have to go through customs and all this stuff. But I mean, I think yes, there were underlying mental health issues. I was definitely over medicated. But what really contributed to this was a, a lack of uh, self worth. And I think my I, I it was there were some deep, deep fears about my own inadequacy, which or goes adequacy. back to your dad's work. To to right. To like people dad. always asked him, "Why did you take pictures of all these people?" You know, he took pictures of Dylan and Kerouac and Ginsburg and Jimi Hendrix and you know everybody. And he says, well, I felt like I wasn't as good as them. Uh, so I was never going to pick up a guitar. I was never going to put pen to paper and write a poem. I was never going to be a performer doing one-man shows about how miserable my life was like like Walker here. Um, but he thought he would take pictures of them. Uh, that was his way of getting a little closer to these people as well as letting everybody know what they were doing, how important it was. And maybe my dad couldn't do it, but maybe they could. But mm -hmm. uh, Tim, you also, I mean, I don't know if you still do it, but the tours of Greenwich Village, right? That you kind of go to those places and you like, so you're kind of carrying on that legacy of showing where the important things occurred. Yeah, there's been a lot of gallery history. shows and people after the show's closed go, I want to still see the pictures. Uh, so my brother came up with an idea of walking tours where we go to where the pictures were taken. We give people postcard-sized images of these places of Stonewall and Washington Square Park and the Judson Church and Dylan's house. Uh, no, and no, no, again, shame on me for not knowing, but where exactly was Stonewall? 
53 Christopher Street, right across from Christopher Park on Christopher between 7th Avenue South and Waverly Place in okay. Lower Manhattan. Lower Manhattan. Um, so, yeah, so we do tours of this, and it was my brother's idea, and it was also his idea to do the book that we did, and this is completely unrelated. It turns out my brother and Alex worked on a movie together called Goodbye Lover back in the 1800s. We did. Which is we one did. of your best. That's, I, it's one, one of, of my favorites. So, you know, so my son, my son uh, Eli. actually his name said, is Eli. Eli, he said very lovingly, he said, Dad, if I have to tell anybody who, who, what my dad was like, meaning when I'm dead, um, I would show them Goodbye Lover and I would show them Money Talks, which are the two movies I worked on. Right. Not, not Toy not Story Toy or Story. Garfield or any of that stuff. So, uh, yeah, so, so we actually share that. So funny because I just introduced Alec and Tim to each other and they have so much in common. Didn't you guys go to the same like baseball the camp? Same after school program. After Where in program. Pittsburgh or something? Uh, Shelly's All Stars. No, no, for Shelly Weiner, who again, to, not that I carry grudges, but I think his, his full name was Shelly Has No Wiener. But <laughs> yeah. Shelly, yeah, no, Shelly's All Stars. Uh, we both are alumni, distinguished alumni. And Indeed. Walker and I are not. Well, wait, baseball's where you hit the ball with the. Uh, That's the stick, cricket. Right? No, it's, oh, the, you're right. No, it's baseball. Right. Right. Okay. I, it's the sporting. And what's the thing. World Series? That's something They're, they do. All of them? For all they all of do they, have World they Series? They all run around. All the, the, seven ga- the World Series is a mini-series <laughs> on television, and it's usually on cable TV. They sell a lot of commercials. The games start after my bedtime. They end at 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, and one of the teams always wins. And that's the Super Bowl? Let's, let's not take the world so serious. <laughs> I know nothing about sports. I mean, it's embarrassing. Oh, my God, I mean, dude. I, awesome. I know a little bit more about baseball than that. Okay. So anyway. the point, and there is one, is, is that <laughs> my brother, who worked with Alex, had the idea for this book. By the way, that movie, that movie, like, the, we had the premiere, and the lights go on, and I see my representation at the time, and I say, so what would you think? And they're like, it's not going to hurt you. <laughs> they, they, they were wrong, obviously. But, so my brother's idea was to do this book for the 25th anniversary of Stonewall called Gay Pride. Um, and we couldn't get a publisher to publish it. We couldn't get a bookseller to stock it. This and we 25 years ago. 25 years ago. And we couldn't get anybody to buy it because nobody was going to carry a book around in public that identified you as gay. And now, 25 years later, we can't call it gay pride because gay is no longer the umbrella term for somebody who's not straight. And uh, publishers were beaten down the door. It was featured in the New York Times yesterday. And here I am on the radio talking about it. Uh, and the whole evolution, as Walker was talking about, um, the pictures have helped, we hope, help the generation become more comfortable with who they are, oh, to see that they're not alone. And if we can make a couple of shekels on the side, more power to without us. Without a doubt. I, I have a question, Tim. What did? Because your dad sounds like he was a stand-up guy already. Did it? Did working for The Voice and documenting this movement change him? Um, he was pretty left of center to begin with. He would always say, I'm not even going to eat the right wing on a chicken if you put it in front of me. Wow. Um, but, but working with the voice, I mean, he was friendly with this guy, Arthur Bell, and this woman, Jill Johnston. He was gay and she was lesbian. Um, and coming from Brooklyn, an Irish Catholic home where your father drinks and beats you up all the time and you live in foster homes, he didn't know any gay people. He didn't know any artists. He didn't know any singers. He didn't know any poets. And working for the voice exposed him to a whole new world. Uh, of people. And he would come out here. He would stay up on Montauk Highway at his friend Alfonso Osorio's house, or he's friends with Larry Rivers or all these other degenerates from the neighborhood who ended up becoming, obviously, degenerates whose work sells for $80 million. But, you know, Osorio, he's a Filipino guy who makes weird-looking stuff. When you're a bum kid growing up in Brooklyn, painting is you make a picture of a bowl of fruit. What these people were doing out here a majority of them who were gay or bisexual really opened his eyes and he was pretty tolerant to begin with but by the time the book came out he was as far left of center as one can get and i also want to say uh, walker is very well known out here for being a radio personality you had that show on baz right and you're 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 extremely well loved um, right, but, uh, no i just want to uh, right, thank no, you and and but this is all right, this is such a meaty. This is such a meaty. No, this is such a meaty topic in my mind. My daughter's gay, right? And and I have this conversation with her constantly. And my she, son is trans. She, she, she yes. has. Yes. She has talked about how when you when you come into your consciousness and you realize that you're quote unquote other mm-hmm. from whatever the mainstream might be, you have to go through an internal process of acceptance that if you are part of the mainstream, you never have to confront. That those issues, especially is when you're anybody young. Anybody besides like 
Trump, I mean, and his people, his minions, does anybody consider themselves mainstream? I mean, really? I, I, I think I think if you look at if you look at our um, creation mythology on down, it's it's male hetero storytelling. I am as mainstream as it gets. I am a upper middle class white guy with two parents who were married their whole lives. My parents sent me to good schools. I've always had jobs. Uh, my politics may be a little bit to the left, but I think that's pretty much mainstream because more people voted right. for Hillary than they did for Donald Trump. Right. And, and, and I'm, I don't consider myself mainstream, but I feel like I always have to check myself for my mainstreamness because of, I'm a white man and I'm... Right. I, so I'm constantly, almost in a paranoid way, trying to check my mainstreamness because I know that it's I'm, I'm affected by uh, that in it's, ways that I don't always, I'm not always conscious of. Did that contribute, though, to your, your mental health before you were able to kind of find the internal acceptance? Did what? The idea that you, that you, you, you self-identified as being outside... But also, but I'm mainstream. Mm -hmm. But what am I? Kind well, so of. God, that's such a good. Right? That's such a good question. Yeah. All my life, I felt like I'm a part of every community that I'm in, and yet also standing on the outside. That every single that's community, funny. I feel that and way. that I is feel because that way. that's because of the, uh, my family, yeah. because I felt that way as an artist. Uh, not so much being gay, but being different, just being different, being I, I didn't I couldn't relate with what I was seeing around me there. I wasn't seeing myself reflected back to me. I had to look elsewhere for it. And so I think that really affected um, my just all the, my whole lifelong struggle. And I think that people look at me in a similar way to you because I am a straight white guy and I'm here promoting a book about gay pride. I go to all the gay pride events. Many of my friends, through no choice of my own, they just happen to be gay. And I look at myself as trying to educate all the other cis males, as we're now called, and say, you know what? You can be a baseball fan, and you can still go to a gay bar with somebody and not feel threatened because they're just people, too. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good place to take another break. This has been just a fascinating, wonderful discussion. I just love this. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. We're coming to you from L&W Market in Bridgehampton next to Almond, and you're listening to us on 88.3 WPPB. We will be right back. We're back Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolow. And we're talking with Walker Vreeland, a well-known radio personality actor. You have a, your website is from ship to shape.com, isn't it? It yeah. is. Yes. And we also have Tim McDara, Timothy McDara, whose father, Fred McDara, iconic photographer who captured Stonewall right afterward and, uh, and is just right now the show at the parish is part of their permanent collection, right? With pictures of Osorio and, uh, uh, Franz Klein and I'm trying to think of else lots of local Jackson artists Pollock. Motherwell yeah. and uh, Larry Rivers Warhol right. Larry Rivers All right, so, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Anyway. Who, here, who here has seen The Village People I have yeah, he's the only one who raised his my, hand my, no, I have so I was like 13 hetero and 13 and my dad worked at Casablanca and he took me to the swamp out here and uh, I saw The Village People wow no but you know what I went to the opening night with you of the movie your mom produced. Um, thank God it's Friday. The Swamp was a gay I bar. I went to the, no, yeah. but do you remember going to the... <laughs> in Wayne's well, Why did gay bars always have, like, names like Ramrod in the Swamp? Well, I mean... You, that, <laughs> really? I'm, just, it, it, I'm wondering. I think they speak for themselves. I love that like, we went to the opening night of that movie together. Yeah. Thank God it's Friday. I yeah. was your date. Yeah, and like we the were Columbia like Pictures. Uh, yeah, I know. And she, she started, started disco I dancing. I know. And Donna like, Summer. Oh, yeah. my God. That was so much fun. But I wanted to talk a little bit... About how, how much things really, really have changed. I mean, I know that they have on the outside, but you guys know this because I already told the story that my, and I have it on Facebook. I wore a shirt last night, said hashtag family. Family was in rainbow colors. And uh, I wore it not on the East End, but to a, like a shopping center area close by. And uh, one guy made to hit me with the car. And as he drove by, he yelled, 
effing dyke at me. He didn't say effing. And, uh, and then someone else yelled, um, go back to jail, I thought was what they said. And I couldn't figure it out until later. And then go I was back like, to jail. Yeah, but then I realized that he must be like a really big Orange is the New Black fan. I've never seen the show, but I was like, oh, because lesbians... Are, are in jail I, I couldn't figure it out right. and I'm not gay I mean by the way I, right. I, you know and then one cute little little kid must have been like 14 or something rolled down his window and said I really like your shirt miss as his Aww. mom was driving by well, you were wearing a pride shirt I was wearing right? a pride he, he shirt on to, on he purpose. was on his way to conversion camp well, no, that bodes well. That bodes well for the future, though. That's a long car ride. Sorry, he's funny. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Tim, I'm making Tim, a serious Tim, point. Tim's gonna make a serious point. So when's the first time you realized that no, there no, were, no, no, no. There no, were boys I, that like boys? I just no, wanted to oh. say that the fact that the 14 year old kid was the only one who wasn't a uh, a blank blank is good for the future. The Absolutely. fact that kids now they they're not raised the same way. You know, they're raised understanding tolerance and inclusion, um, and which Reminds me of how I first was exposed to gay people and understood them. Um, my parents uh, had a book called Museums in New York. It came out late 60s, early 70s. They had a book party in the house. Um, and at the end of the party, there's two guys on the couch making out. You know, one guy's a big beard, Allen Ginsberg, and his husband, Peter Olofsky, the friends of my parents. Um, <laughs> and, Only and one of them had talent. <laughs> I know, Peter did. <laughs> Allen was a <laughs> um, And at the end of the party, you know, I said, hey, Dad, you know, Allen and Peter were kissing, but... But they're both boys. You know, I don't understand. Um, and my dad looked at me, and I remember this so clearly. You could see the gears going around in his head. And he says to me, well, do you love Tom Seaver, who was a pitcher on the Mets? Then I say, of course I love Tom Seaver. Who didn't love Tom Seaver? Would you kiss him? Well, maybe. You know, does your brother love purpley? My little brother had a purple stuffed turtle named Purpley that he slept with every right. night. We just moved into bestiality. Uh, right. Finish the story, Jim. Okay. See, that's the problem today. You can't tell a serious story about gay anything without someone like you making it into bestiality. Someone like you, by and, the way, is going to be the name of my autobiography. There you go. So I guess. <laughs> and, and I'm as guilty as you of sometimes I'm sorry, going Jim. to the quick joke instead right. of a serious I, story. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, all right, I'm going to go forgive, stand I in the corner. I apologize for Alex I feel like I'm back in Trinity. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Continue, Tim, your story. So my, my dad does says, your brother, brother like purpley? Look purpley? You know, yes, he loves it. Does he kiss him? Sure. You know, does your mother like her books? My mother was a book editor. Oh, my mother loves her books. And my dad goes, and Peter loves Alan. You know, and you can love anybody you want. If it's a baseball player or if it's a book or if it's a stuffed animal or if it's another guy, there's no right or wrong. Love is love. Wow. And I just immediately accepted that because if your dad says it's okay, it must be okay. Um, and it's, it's great to hear that the 14-year-old kid you right. know, said good for you because that means that the future hopefully is going to be way better than the past. But, in but, terms right, of but this, this is a, this is a serious point though, and this kind of goes to shame and and in my uh, mind, and that is when somebody feels empowered to bark at anybody. I always think that their discomfort that's coming out has to do with their own shame. Mm -hmm. It has it to do must. with... Uh, and so when somebody's screaming at you because you're wearing a T-shirt, it's because they probably, and, and they probably like, oh, I'm attracted to her. She's pretty. I noticed the T-shirt, whatever it is. Oh, she's gay because she's wearing this shirt. Oh, I'm not gay. So I have to say this to prove to myself. Just, I'm, anybody mm -hmm. who yells it's, anything out of the window at anyone right. is, is really it's weird like to me. those meetings I, I used to go to. You point one finger at one person, but you're pointing three, three fingers, fingers back, back at yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's a cliche, any, but any, there's a lot to it. Any judgment is just a projection at the end of the day, right? I mean, okay, so Walker, so you, you go you go a little... Mad on a, go a little crazy on, go the boat. on a boat, and then what happens? <laughs> then I jumped off and I swam to shore. No, <laughs> okay. I uh, so I, I got off the boat as quick as I could. I quit the job, um, and and there was no sense of having um, any kind of you know solve the problem, or there was no sense of resolution to it because I felt like there was no way out. There was no there. It was a it was a lose lose situation, and this gets to the whole discussion of shame because the one area of my life that had always been a constant, that had always been there no matter what, was what I did. I, I, you know, I've been in showbiz since I was 11 years old and it was always, no matter what else was happening, relationships, family life, it was always there for me. I knew it was the one thing I could depend on. And now that was being threatened. Because I, because of the way I was seeing myself. Because if I stayed on the ship and couldn't pull it off, I was a failure. And if I let, and if I quit, and and I and I, and I couldn't do it, I 
then I was a failure but because I, I couldn't I couldn't swing it. But talking about going back to turning pain into art, at what point? Not really being a, a writer. I mean, definitely being a performer and doing this kind of shit on the, the air. Mm-hmm. You know that we we can all kind of you know bullshit. Um, at what point did you go? No, I'm going to write this into something that would be cathartic for you, but also touch other people. What made you decide to make this public for everyone? And it's also funny, but like, wait, how- wait, 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 but you said, let's stick let's stick to the funny because part of recovery of anything is finding the humor in something. What was the moment of humor for you that allowed you to start to take control of, of this chapter of your life? That's a good point. It's such a good, such a good question. I, I, you know, I don't know. I think I, I tried to, I tried to keep my sense of humor as I was going through it, but obviously it's much easier in retrospect. So, um, you know, I think I saw as I got well, and um, things got clearer in terms of how I saw myself with more integrity, that I saw that I was enough, that I was adequate as a person and as an actor, um, I began to see the absurdity of the whole cruise ship experience. I began to see the signs that were along the way that I didn't notice then because of my wounded sense of self. And so, does that answer your question? I'm not sure. But it doesn't I mean, answer mine, oh, which but, I asked first. Which, which, which was what? Sorry, how man. did I, when, when did I decide... <laughs> When did I decide to, to put make this to paper I, you know, and, and share it? So, because I kept journal entries throughout on the ship in the hospital, and then I went back and I saw the ship. It was very clear to me. Oh, this is Act One is the ship. Act Two is the New York City. After I get off the ship, and Act Three is the hospital when I'm hospitalized right, but, at and, Johns and Hopkins. And so, shape and so, in the title, ship to shape from ship to ship from ship to shape. Yeah. So, so, what, but, so but, we're moving to the shape. Part. You know, I, I think what you're asking, though, I think it's about it's who I it's it's something that is so that I've always taken for granted about who I am because I've always lived my life out loud always. And I don't know why I am that way. That's just who I am. So it's why did I go on the radio <clears throat> in 2007 and begin using my life as my primary source of material? Right, I canvas. don't know. It just it came naturally. It was always natural for me to um be as shameless as possible with um, every single demon that I'd ever dealt with. And because it connected me to others. Put it out there. And I think, you know, we have come so far in terms of the stigma, whether it's about gay issues, whether it's about mental illness. I think we have a long way to go. And I think definitely out, out here in the East End, especially because I lived here for 10 years and grew up here, there's so much excess. There's so much... There's so many images of perfection, this false idea of perfection, of consuming. So but, I, but I would also concerned. add, again, going to the addiction side, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the dopamine secretion of the expectation of pleasure that never gets fulfilled in places of excess that then can kind of lead to that sense of dissatisfaction that makes you want to have more and more and more of something. Well, it's also comparing your internals to other people's externals. Yeah. You're looking at someone, I was going to say my mom, like I, I used to go, oh, that woman is so pretty. And my mom would be like, she probably has a yeast infection. Like that <laughs> hey, was- who doesn't? <laughs> but that was like the worst thing my mom could think of is that she itched, you and know? And I've given up bread. <laughs> I know. Anyway, sorry, Tim, what were you going to say? Speaking of Tim- yeast. No, sorry. Uh, t- go ahead, go ahead. I just, I just wanted to, to ask Walker, um, putting yourself out there on the radio was one thing because you're sort of hiding behind a microphone. But to actually be doing a one-man show, you're 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 not naked, but you're emotionally and spiritually naked, standing mm-hmm. out there. Um, mm-hmm. How does that feel? How is it going to feel? It's, and how do you how do you do it? It's different from anything I've ever done in my life. It's very um, uh, energizing, and it, it's it, you know it's exhilarating. People people see the show and sometimes uh, say to me afterwards, "Wow, that must it costs you so much." And um, is that exhausting? And it's actually the opposite. Um, because, um, because you, look, you see me on stage at the beginning of the show, you know I survived. Um, I'm alive and I'm telling the story from the, from the context, from the perspective of now and everything that I, and I'm well. So uh, I'm able to really comfortably uh, go to some scary places. And it's kind of like a ride. It is a journey from beginning to end that, you know, one thing leads to another, one choice leads to the next. It's a snowball effect. And you see actually how it happens. And you sort of want to say, I think, as a, so I've heard an audience member wants to say, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. I know what's going to happen here, but I couldn't see it at the time. And that is something I think we can right, all but, but relate the, to. The really interesting thing that I'm hearing is 
and it goes back to the taking your pain and making art out of it, is yeah. that when I find when you can tell your own story and bring your own story forth, you are taking control of the trauma. Oh, for sure. As Who opposed said that? Nora Ephron used to talk about that all the time, right? But that you're, you're taking control well, of the narrative. Well, she actually said everything is copy. But everything is right. And she uh, also said, when life hands you lemons, take notes. It's actually yeah. Eminem who said it. If you saw the movie Eight Mile, at the end, his whole long rap is all about Spaghetti how Spaghetti and Mom? Yeah. It's all of throwing up on your shirt. Yeah. Oh, that's the first line. <laughs> well, but, but, but no, really, the Eminem movie, yeah. Yeah. his last when he's having a rap battle about how everyone else has sex with his girlfriend and he's poor and his mother lives in a trailer and there's nothing anybody can come back at him with because he's already you know, taking control of the whole thing. Yeah. Himself. Kind of like no, Kaiser yeah. Soze, Soze shooting his family in uh, Usual Suspects. Like, take, you kill the thing you love. To, I don't know. All right. Well, I, anyway, I, I, would, no. I would, I would just again <laughs> umbrella it under when you can tell your story and bring your story forth. Yeah. All of a sudden, you become a hero in your own narrative again. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. That's so true. It is very empowering. And, and that's what I think your dad, Tim. Like that's what your dad did. Is, is that is that he was inherently heroic by his going out in the world. But then he he gave a platform to everybody who were at this kind of inflection point of their own lives and allowed them to be heroic because there's the images in the village voice. Right, because, well, the subject matter, so traumatic. It's validation. It's so horrific. What you do is okay, what you feel is okay, and that's what this whole month is about. There are so many exhibitions and there are so many gallery shows and so many parades and so many books and, and, and so many you, events. I have, a, I have a question for both of you guys, or for you two, Bridget. Like, do we need a gay pride month? Do we need a black history month? Do yes. we need a woman? We need it. Now tell me why, yes. in your opinion. And I'll argue no when you're done. Because they're communities that have been disenfranchised. Okay. And still, I mean, there's still a ways to go. So I think um, that that's just my belief. I mean, what, I would be interested to hear your, if, if you disagree, why. But what do you think? Tim. New York is so overwhelmed with meaningless parades at this point. The Columbus Day Parade, the Dominican Day Parade. Those aren't meaningless. Hollow, hollow, well, <laughs> see, I'm, I argue that they are because... The fact Alternate that there is side of the street parking is suspended. Let him, well, let the, him finish. Sorry. No. Jokester. Go, go over to your I, corner. I agree, go with, ahead, the, Tim. I agree I'm with the parking part. Um, <laughs> I'm listening. But the but parades I'm... become meaningless because there are so many of them. Dominicans and Italians and Jews and Halloween, it's all assimilated into the culture now. And gay people, not as assimilated as they could or should be, but by calling attention to differences, you almost say, hey, everybody, these people are different. So by having a parade, you're saying that they're different, and gay people are not different, Dominicans aren't different, Italians aren't different on the Columbus Day Parade. Um, it's important that you note Gay Pride Month the same way you mark July 4th and every but, other holiday, uh, but I don't know. But I'm, I'm talking more specifically, because like, when I think about it, I think we live in a disposable, transactional culture, and I am always wary when people call attention to something, because then this, the day July 1st comes, and people then lower their gaze. And I think that... The lower their gaze? G-A-Z-E, young lady. <laughs> oh, <okay>. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Look sorry. At that. Sorry. I, I'm I, just, I, I, I feel like Eminem. I, I paid attention for a second. <laughs> yeah, no, no. no but, but I that, lowered but that, my gaze but, for years. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a top. Oh, God. <laughs> Alec? What? Yes, I am. This guy's good. Jeez. No, he isn't. Go ahead. <laughs> Not as good as he thinks he is. Anyway, so go ahead. Where were we no, talking about? No, I'm just about? saying. I'm saying like because in its very inception, I understand the value. I understand the value of having conversations like this, having conversations. Hopefully, allowing people to hear in the dialogue and the chatter, a normalizing things that should have been normal but but aren't yes. necessarily. But I always think. Then, then it goes away, and then it's July, then it's August, then it's September, and then we're all like stuck on, well, what are we supposed to be thinking about now, as opposed to just kind of having a wider conscience. Well, I, I looked to a guy named Craig Rodwell, who opened something called the Oscar Wilde Memorial Bookshop in 1967, and it was a bookstore devoted to gay literature, because mainstream bookstores didn't have any gay literature. He closed the store in 2009, not because business was bad, but he said, I've done my job. Every bookstore in the country now has literature by gay people interspersed with everything My work else. here is done. There you go. But it was. Um, it's important to either, remember... Either my bookstore or the wallpaper has to go. Quoting Oscar Wilde. I think it's like saying, well, you know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. I was unaware um, of that. Yeah, that hasn't that hasn't really caught on yet. It, it is it not? No, I but didn't. But it is, right? It is. May yeah. is Mental Health. But, but, mental but health and is. yet I do this show 
wherever I have the opportunity to do it, wherever I'm asked to do it. So it's like, you know, I think that it, I think I say that just to illustrate that you can have a, a one day or one month to raise awareness about a certain community or issue, but well, then there are the, the, the soldiers on the ground, hopefully, who are doing that work every day and continuing to have conversations like this all the time, all year round. And normalize it that way. And your show is going to be at Bay Street this month, but of course the show could be rerun, so people should go to the fromshiptoshape.com to look yes. and see where it's going to be. So you move to shape, right? So you do, you do your radio show, you have your one-man show, you, you've been able to kind of take all your pain and turn it around when now you, you have a voice in your own narrative that's a heroic voice. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's what shape looks like. That's what shape looks like. And it takes a long time to get there. I'm here to tell you. It does not happen in a year or two years or three years. It happens. It, it really took, I think, a decade for me to get or maybe almost a decade to get there um, because I saw a glimpse of it. I mean, in the play at the very end, I see I see a glimpse of what it would mean to live my life as somebody who sees myself as enough. Mm. Um, but in, to actually put that into action... Uh, and to uh, live my life that way every day takes a long time. It takes a lot of work. And, and Timothy, again, like now you're bringing uh, – one, one of the things you said before, which I love, is the idea that this book came out 25 years ago, and it took 25 years for the book to kind of – for the society to catch up, basically, right? No different – then Fitzgerald with Greg Gatsby and with Moby Dick, right? Two books and that Dr. bombed. And Dr. Seuss. Right, I but think. bombed when they first came out and then became historically relevant. And that's why when Bridget just told me to watch what I'm saying. I think I said zip it. Right. The whole point <laughs> is that Lenny Bruce didn't zip it. He pushed the envelope. Rosa Parks didn't zip it. She pushed the envelope, you know, and every single person. And where are they now? Dead. <laughs> They're not dead. We're still talking about them. You know, they may yeah. be six feet under, but they're so far from that's dead. That's so true. And that's why this month coming Amen. up is so important. Amen. Because if people who are not straight white people don't stand up for themselves, ain't nobody else gonna. That's so true. So zip it ain't gonna happen to me and a lot of other people. My kids once said that if I was a superhero, my name would... You are a superhero. Oh, you're such a sweetheart. But my my name would be Chatterbox and my sidekick would be Mr. Zip It, who is the only one who has the right. power to and shut right. me and out. So if you, had, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Walker Vreeland. Mm, superpower? I'm not good at those questions. Really? You never have thought about one that? One superpower. Never... Okay, come I don't on. Do, we'll um, get back to you. A you lot think. Of act... I don't... Yeah, okay. You let think me think. About it. Let me Alex Soclo. No, Alex Soclo, your superpower. My superpower would be to have the entire world see the world through my eyes. That's terrifying. No, it's hilarious. <laughs> Is it? It's okay. so funny. Timothy McDarrow, superpower. As Cindy Lauper said, I'd have the power to turn back time so I could place wagers on football games and hopefully change the course of some elections. <laughs> okay, Bridget? I would want to be able to speak and understand every language on earth so that no one would ever feel alone. I would, I would want to be able to dance. Yes! <laughs> That's great! Amen! <laughs> dancing! Amen! Oh my gosh, this has been a really great show. We do have a little bit of time. Is there anything else we want to talk about? Uh, do you have a, a website I will, I will, or something? I will plug the book explicitly. Yes, it's please. It's called Pride Photographs After Stonewall. It's published by OR Books. It's available in bookstores everywhere, or you can go to the OR Books website, or you can go to Amazon. It's a fantastic book. And if anybody is in the city starting June 6th, there's an exhibit of pictures from the book at the Museum of the City of New York uh, running until the end of the summer. There's a concurrent exhibit, a retrospective of my dad's work, also at the Museum of the City of New York. If you go to the New York Historical Society, there's three fantastic Stonewall 50 shows. A lot of it is not my dad's pictures, but they're fantastic. And locally at the Parish Art Museum, the Fred W. McDara works but that's are now not part pride of the related. I'm only plugging Pride. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Well, only Pride. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. But, you know, go to the New York Historical Society. Go to the Museum of the City of New York. Obviously, go to the parish. Obviously, buy a book. And after you read the book, go and see Walker's show, and you'll be a much more evolved, enlightened, educated person. Thank you. Yeah, and you can find out more info at uh, fromshiptoshape.com, or you can follow me on Instagram at Walker Vreeland to find out what I'm doing. Or come on L&W and buy your bracelets. Exactly. Come, yeah, awesome. I make these little beaded bracelets. Better, better. You can find them at L&W Market. Them right now. Yes. Point of purchase opportunity at L&W. Not only is it duck confit, you'll come for the duck confit, you'll, you'll save, save for the, the bracelets. bracelets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
this has been just too much fun. So everybody hug a gay today. Well, what I would say is actually everybody take a breath and just realize that there's eight other billion people on this planet, everybody trying to figure out their stuff, and that we just need a little bit of patience and understanding and that it's not as bad as it seems. Well said. That's well true. Said. And if you do feel any sort of, uh, if you're if you're gay or coming out and you're scared, you can reach out to the Trevor Project. You can reach out to legally.org, L-I-G-A-L-Y, Long Island Gay and Lesbian Youth. Org, and there's always someone there to help, and there's lots of support groups. Yeah, and, and if you're struggling with mental issues, you can reach out to me. I'm serious. You know, you can reach out to me. Reach out to somebody. Talk about it. Yeah. Uh, let someone know that what you're, you're going not through. Alone, and and, you're not, and yeah. you, I mean, you really are not alone. Um, that's what my mission is, to let people, to remind people of that. And if you're intolerant, but you've been listening to this show, and you see maybe there's another way, and you drink beer, and you gamble, and you smoke a little weed, and you watch a lot of sports, call me. And you can see that it's possible to have all those characteristics and still be open-minded and progressive. Amen. I love it. What a great show this has been. I just loved having Walker Vreeland and Timothy McDowell as our guests. Sock, anything you want to... What's going on for you this week, Bridge? What's going on? What do you got coming on down the Bridge of Turnpike? I have no idea what's going on. I mean, The Independent, we, we, we've had a lot of... I actually have an interview with Walker in the upcoming edition and Paul Goldberger. I've, I've done a lot of really interesting interviews recently. I had Sean Lennon a couple of Sean weeks ago. Thank you. Well, it had a lot to do with my brother and uh, we, we just... It, it's The paper's going great. You can find it at IndieEastEnd.com and uh, you can listen to this radio station uh, on... 88.3. 88, no, 883WPPB.org. You were doing the old-fashioned, like, rate, like dial... You could listen to this radio station. <laughs> this, this Absolutely. Sucks. Anyway, it's been a great week. I hope everybody does something great for Pride Month. And, yeah. uh, just have everybody have a good June. Everybody just respect each other. And you've been listening to Sundays Did on the East everybody End. disrespect no, each other? No, just... Everybody just... Res- everybody just respect each other. And you're listening to Sundays everybody on the East... inspect e- each other? Yeah, that too. For ticks. Because it's June. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Inspect each other for ticks. Make a friend today without them even knowing you're behind them, checking them for ticks. Right. You've been listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. Anything you want to end with? I would just say to everybody, have a good week. Be well and stay well. You've got to let me know. Yeah. Uh-huh.